Good evening, and welcome to the Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Tonight, a tale of ponds, tranquility, and a malevolent eldritch spirit. The Hunter-Eyed God, Fisherman, is a part of a shared universe series written during the pandemic of 2020, and episodes can be consumed in any order. Tonight's tale is read by Nikolai Stenslan Shepchek, with musical accompaniment by Petr Marian. If you don't want to miss out on any episodes of The Hundred-Eyed God, feel free to hit whatever subscribe and rating button you have on your listening platform of choice. New chapters will be coming out every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday. With that out of the way, sit down by a pond, tune out the rest of the world, and get ready for your tranquility to be invaded by incomprehensible forces. There are places out there in the world that are special. Places that feel just a twinge more real than the rest. Spots on the planet where the smells, the wind, the light all jumble together into one steady stream of cosmic calm that allows you to block out the chaos of the outside world. My pond was one of those places. It wasn't really a pond. It was an old man-made reservoir in the middle of the woods back from the communist era. But if I didn't tell you, you probably wouldn't know. Reeds grew on the edge of the bank, and schools of fish squirmed through the water, and the pond was tucked away in the middle of a forest. The reservoir, or pond, or whatever you want to call it, was my calm little center of the universe. I was a young man when I first stumbled upon that magical place. Russian tanks had just rolled in through the borders to provide brotherly assistance against our attempts to democratize the country. Everyone was either plotting hair-brained revolutions against the superpower or lamenting the death of a movement that never really began. I didn't want to think about the uncertain future. I didn't want to fight a war I couldn't win. I just wanted a break. So I walked. I walked out of my crummy apartment, out of the anxious city, past construction sites for those concrete monstrosities that would adorn the edges of our capital, and into the quiet forest. And in the midst of an anxiety-riddled walk, I stumbled into my own personal slice of heaven. Suddenly, I wasn't in a country that was being stomped on by Stalin's de-Stalinized legacy. I wasn't worrying about how unclear the horizons of my life were. I wasn't anxious anymore. I was just standing by a pond on a warm September day. And in that moment, a moment that flowed seamlessly until sundown, I knew that I could find happiness in the gentle serenity of the pond. There was a run-down wooden cottage right next to the concrete control room of the reservoir, and I knew I had to have it. It took nearly a decade of work. Paychecks in totalitarian states are barely enough to survive on, and the concept of private ownership without family contacts tends to be a bit hairy. But with enough effort and a helping of palm grease, I reached my goal. I became the sole owner of the wooden cottage. The pond would be a steady, soothing balm on my soul whenever life out in the real world got too difficult to manage. 
Now, I would get visitors every couple of years, men who carried no badges but spoke with this authority of someone who performs uh, <laughs> disappearance magic tricks. They asked me about my political views, about whether I had any connections to capitalist imperialists who might be interested in tainting our great nation's water supplies and, and a variety of other nonsense that only a state security agent would ask about. I kept my head low, uh, no information, no affiliation, no, no plans, and over the years they found problems bigger than me. Human rights were violated, charters were signed, protesters were beaten, and finally the regime fell. I celebrated that democratic plot from my youth coming into fruition by working a couple of more years at my day job and, and then retiring to live in my little cabin in the woods. I've never been one for fishing, but an afternoon thought about the pond being overpopulated manifested itself into a fishing rod purchase a couple of weeks later. Fishing then became a part of the charm of the place. I'd just lean back on the grass, grab a beer, and grow old waiting for something to nibble on the bait. The 90s were very kind to me, but then the joggers came. The city was starting to expand. Past the concrete monstrosities of the Soviet-era housing projects, new, shiny pieces of equally jarring modern architecture started to grow. They all somehow managed to use the English word living in their names, or carried some vaguely Italian moniker. The people that lived in the newly constructed homes came over to my pond to jog, to walk their annoying dogs to barbecue. There was even talk of opening a waterside pub next to the pond. I tolerated them for years. If there weren't any children around and the dogs kept their distance and the joggers weren't wheezing like idiots, I could have my peace. But then they all disappeared. I am a cynical old man, but I wouldn't celebrate a global health crisis. I will, however, say that I didn't mind the newfound peace that the pandemic brought to me. Every couple of days, youth volunteers would come and drop off some uh, supplies for me as part of this senior aid program, and all I had to do was not come into contact with them. It didn't take long for me to get used to my new role of a face mask wearing hermit, and if things had stayed the same, I wouldn't have anything to complain about. But they didn't. It happened around two weeks after the lockdown measures were announced. I was just sitting on the riverbank, enjoying the gentle chirping of the far-off birds, watching the water shimmer in the autumn breeze. And then I felt it. An almost palpable rush of energy went through my head as if something was squirming around my brain looking for a sensitive nerve. Questions started drifting through my mind. Has anyone ever truly seen me as a human being? What will I leave behind for future generations to look at? Am I ready to come eye to eye with death, or do I have regrets? I could see doors. A hundred locked doors that could have led to a family, to a legacy, to a life that the pond couldn't offer. I stubbed out the idea as soon as it reared its horns. I'm pushing 80. I wasn't going to waste my time on things I couldn't do anything about. The line tightened. I grabbed my rod and started reeling. The catch ended up being a pathetic little thing. After watching it flop on the line for a bit, I took it off the hook and chucked it back into the water. For a couple of minutes, I just sat there, enjoying the warmth of the sun, taking in the smell of the forest, when I suddenly heard the voice. Get out! It said, ringing through my head. 
There was a weak screechiness to it, as if whatever power was beaming it into my head was struggling. The hundred-eyed god compels you to leave. No, I said out loud. You will leave this place, you have been warned. The voice whispered. Well, this is probably what going senile feels like, I thought to myself, and continued to lay on the grass. Sure, knowing that my mind was going was not a pleasant thought, but being by that peaceful water soothed those worried thoughts out of my head. What will be, will be, I thought. As long as I have my pond, I am content. Then my pond started to fade away. I don't know exactly when I noticed it. You see, life after retirement has been just one long fishing trip for me. But it must have been within the same week of hearing that voice in my head. The voice didn't come back, but, but something about the pond had changed. It was still as calm as ever, but something was wrong about it. Instead of floating thoughtlessly in the serene energy of the water, I was constantly searching for that one thing that was unusual, for the thing that was missing. I walked through the tree line and found a couple of stumps. It looked as if someone had chopped down a handful of trees while I was sleeping, but it didn't really bother me none. We were in the middle of a forest. There were plenty of trees. The missing wood wasn't what was troubling me. There was something wrong about the pond itself. I was in the middle of reeling in a fish. This was a big one, probably one of those grossly oversized carp that tend to get hungry for hooks around autumn. Yet as I stood up with the rod to get a better grip, I noticed something. There was a large amount of mud at the edge of the water. The pond was being drained. Someone was trying to bleed out my paradise. When I first bought the cottage, the concrete shack that held the controls to the reservoir was just that, a faceless slab of concrete that no one touched. During the revolution, a couple of kids that weren't brave enough to spray paint things in front of the riot police came out to the reservoir and wrote various slogans on the concrete chunk. Love and truth shall be victorious, the scribbles read 30 years later. Beneath them was a banged up metal door. It was open but it wasn't meant to be open. There was dust all over the floor. The footsteps were easy to follow. They led directly towards the main water valve. Someone had been tampering with the drainage of the pond. The valve was rusty as all hell, but with a tired creak, it returned back to its position. You're going against the wishes of the hundred-eyed god. He can see you. He will not forget you. I shook the croaking senility out of my head. A sense of calm washed over me. With the valves turned back to where they were meant to be, the pond was safe. I sat down by the pond and watched the stars twinkle their way out of the sunset. The world around me radiated with a serene tranquility. For a moment, out there in the dark, it seemed like things would go back to normal, like I would resume my lonesome life by the pond. That was the last time I felt true peace. Sunken eyes, wheezing breaths, and sweat-covered bodies, they slowly trickled into my little kingdom. At first, 
I thought they were just regular joggers, you know, people who had spent the March Madness hiding at home and felt a need to get back out on the trails in April. But these people didn't look like regular joggers. They looked more like the people who'd stand next to the grill during barbecues, the people who would make loud conversation about meat. The sort of people who always got just a twinge bit too drunk. The people who had the body proportions of someone who really likes food. Yet as they beat their feet against the jogging trail, their chubby cheeriness was gone. These people were suffering, drenched in their own perspiration, grasping at breaths their body unwilling to give. They were pushing themselves past the limits of their rotund bodies, yet every day they showed, every day they grew more numerous. I tried to focus on my fishing. I tried to ignore what was happening behind my back and just mind my own business, but whenever I was on the edge of slipping back into the soothing spirit of the pond, these moist, sweatpants-wearing figures would drag my attention away. Usually they simply ran around the pond. Sometimes they carried axes out into the forest. Sometimes they would emerge with weighed-down garbage bags slumped across their shoulders. Regardless of what they were doing, however, they kept their eyes locked on me. Those cursed runners were watching me. Wow, this is a chill spot. <laughs> a voice next to me casually remarked. For a split second, I thought that it was just my mind playing tricks on me again, but it wasn't. A couple meters away from me was a girl who couldn't have been more than 17. She had her face mask pulled down to her chin so that she could puff on her hand-rolled cigarette. Her green eyes burrowed into me. Yeah, I grunted, looking for a way out of the conversation. Talking to teens is always trouble, but the absurdity of the joggers got to me. You know what all these sweaty people want? I asked. A wheezing man stumbled by us with a heavy garbage bag over his back. I don't know. <laughs> she said, puffing away on her cigarette. One of them is my stepdad. He's really dopey. Think it's a cult or something. The smoke drifted towards me. It wasn't a cigarette. I could smell the 60s in the air. You want a hit? No. I grunted and turned back to the water. The last thing I wanted to become entangled in someone else's family drama. Yet as I watched the bank of the pond, I noticed something. The reeds were fully out of the water. The reservoir was being drained again. Have you been messing with the water valves? I asked the teen. But she was gone. The smell of her joint still lingered, but aside from the sweating joggers, I was alone. I went towards the concrete shack. This time, it wasn't empty. The man turned around as soon as I entered the valve room. His eyes were sunk deep into his skull. His loose clothes draped on him like wet blankets. An expression of fear danced in his eyes. He was clearly unwell. Why are you messing with the water valves? You're gonna kill the fish, I said. You have been warned. As he spoke, his voice shook. He sounded weak, scared. But as he talked, there were echoes in my mind of another voice. A powerful voice. A roaring thunder between my ears. The hundred-eyed god demands you leave this place. What did the pond ever do to you? I asked. You have been warned. Leave this place. The man approached me, his fists shaking. Outside, the pounding of the feet stopped. Pained wheezing echoed through the meadow. As I backed out of the room, I could see all the other joggers had stopped. 
They were all staring at me. Never come back. The Hundred-Eyed God commands this. The man said to the backing of that infernal voice. As he walked towards me, he started to swing his fists. His eyes followed each attempted punch with regret, as if he was the world's most resentful marionette puppet. I just kept backing up, hoping he would calm down. I should have spent more time looking under my feet. I slipped. I tumbled down towards my slice of paradise. The soft ground that I laid in for years hit my head like a brick. I blacked out. I woke up in the hospital with a fractured skull. Apparently, someone called an ambulance after they'd found me sprawled out before the entrance to the Ochita living complex. The hazmat-looking nurses told me I was lucky. At my age, most head injuries were fatal. The hospital would keep me around for the evening, and then I would be free to go back to my cottage. I don't know how my body ended up so far away from the pond. I don't know what those strange joggers wanted. I don't know whether that voice that I heard in my head was a product of my senility or something much darker. The only thing that I know with complete certainty is that there's something wrong with my pond. There's an untraceable pain in my chest, as if something that I loved has died, as if my call to being has been wiped from existence. I hope that I'm wrong, but a shimmer in my heart tells me my pond has been turned into something much less peaceful. As I sit here writing this post, I'm trying to stay calm, trying to remember how it felt to sit by those reeds and let life pass me by. But instead, I keep on drifting over to the window. Even with the city's bright lights bleeding out into the sky, I can see the stars. There are thousands of them, shining brighter than they ever were before. Out there in the forest by my pond, they must be so much brighter. It's as if the stars are waiting for something, as if they are a thousand sentient eyes watching us. The Cabinet of Fever Dreams is written and produced by Mike Jesus Langer and is brought to you by patrons such as Moo, Serafina L., Lucky J. Horton, Alan Rawl, Kuss, Bob Kondrick, Chicken Mixer, and Daniel Wengel. If you'd like to join these fine people in supporting the show and get early access to episodes along with a bunch of bonus content, drop by patreon.com slash mikejlanger. And so concludes this episode of The Cabinet of Fever Dreams. Make sure to drop by next week for another episode of the 100 Eyed God series. <laughs>